Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Janelli, and if I had a commander deck built around a mechanic, I would be overload, because once you get me started, you can't stop. I'm Lorelai Weissel, and if I had a commander deck for myself built around a mechanic, it would be Enrage, because I am very angry at Gavin Verhey right now, because he said on Weekly MTG last week that he would love to get a Commodore Guff card made one day, and that cannot be allowed to happen. Absolutely not. I will not stand for it. <laughs> I'm Brian Dawes, and if I could have a mechanic built around me, it would be Convoke, because I'm a Celestia nerd. I'm Carrie Thomas, and if I could have a entire commander deck built around a mechanic for me, it would be Horsemanship, just because we need more Horsemanship cards. Come on, folks. It's due for its epic comeback. <laughs> I, I really, really do like horsemanship, like pretty unironically, just because I like there being two different levels of flying that you can give a creature. Like just instant or sorcery that gave my creatures horsemanship, that would be more than enough. I mean, it's true. If you're thinking about it from like a wargaming angle, you know, being on horseback is a significant advantage. Is it though? Like, is being on horseback really a significant advantage in a game where you are also, like, maybe fighting a centaur? Because they're, like, always on horseback. Well, the centaurs would have horsemanship, too. <laughs> Does that mean, like, humans would have featsmanship? That doesn't make any sense. These are all sounding like good ideas, Lorelai. <laughs> I think we need to just go back. I think regular attack phases should be featsmanship. And then anything on a mount that isn't flying has horsemanship or maybe we name it ridersmanship or they just don't put centaurs in that set do knights riding leotal have horsemanship or do they have to have leotalship can creatures with leotalship block creatures with horse horsemanship i don't know also mike that's a good question my cursed brain is still on this thing where i suggested a mechanic with the word feet in it and like that would be terrible for magic but i'm okay with that oh a lot of people <laughs> a lot of people would love featsmanship a lot of people would hate it more people would hate it, I think. It's very funny. We should probably have a regular podcast episode now. <laughs> so in news this week... I have uh, that project that I've been working on for a few months finish. I won't spend too much time on this. It is an advanced story search. You can look up a lot of things. You can look up a lot more things when time goes by. Um, look up stories by planes, planeswalkers, non-planeswalker characters, authors, artists, dates, a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah, it's something I've worked on for a while, and it's pretty much every major story that we can get logged in there. And then now I'm just working on obscure stuff. I have the Cold Snaps players or the Cold Snap players guide sitting next to me. Um. We have Planeswalker Guide articles that I need to barrel through. But once those are all added, I'll find more stuff to add. <laughs> It'll be an eternal work. <laughs> It'll never end. Yeah. I, I just enjoy having this for people to use because I wish something like this existed before. And it will also make just basic stuff like content creator research and wiki citations like that much easier because at least you know what you should buy to be able to get lore about like a certain character or should read to be able to get lore about that character. It's very cool. I checked it out. I like it a lot. Thank you very much. Yeah, honestly, knowing where to look for things 
is one of the biggest challenges and the biggest barriers to Vorthos content creation. And it's why a lot of creators shortcut to the wiki and reading wiki pages. And hopefully a tool like this will help more original sourcing. So this week, our feature is Flavor Gems of Commander 2019. This was a very cool looking product, and we're just going to jump right into the legends. Yeah. Um, first up, we have Anje Falconrath. Is that the correct way to pronounce it? I was calling her Angie. Angie? <laughs> I don't know if that's her correct or not. I was thinking Anya, but... I'm, I'm on the Anya side. It's a Germanic name. You're going to why the hell out of that, Jay. So let's go with Anya against uh, Anya Falconrath works for me. Yes. Anya Falconrath is a character who has only appeared um, mentioned in flavor text prior to this. She's not the progenitor of the Falconrath line on Innistrad. That goes to some old falconer who all we know uses he, him pronouns and is dead. So <laughs> um, going a while back, but she is around as of, shadows over in a shroud block and was hanging out during that time she was also featured in a flavor text from avison restored um but yeah she does very very good things at a very good cost so that's all i gotta say so our next legend is atla palani nest tender what i really liked about each of these decks i should say uh the three color decks at least is each of them had at least one legend for every faction in those colors so for the white red green deck uh, we had both a naya legend and an ixalan legend from sun empire so this is our sun empire legend atla is tending a nest of eggs that are mysterious in origin the flavor of this is very cool when the eggs get destroyed, they're hatching and they hatch into the various creatures of your deck. It's a very cool alternative to Mael uh, as a Naya kind of big creature or any kind of creature deck. There are so many different ways this can go. It's very cool. My favorite part is when the eggs hatch into other egg creatures. They're like those Russian dolls, but eggs. <laughs> Um, our next legend is Chainer, Nightmare Adept. This is his second printing. Um, his first printing was from Torment. Um, he is the namesake of the Torment set and the novel Chainer's Torment. Um, he's a very cool character. Um, probably one of my favorite characters from that entire block. Um, he was a genuinely decent guy working for the Cabal. It's He came across as kind of genuine. He would just... Eventually got corrupted by the Mirari and went mad, but uh, both of his cards are very good. This card is even, like, both are good in different ways, but this guy is super cool and I really like the card, and the art is actually not bad either. So our next card is Elsha of the Infinite, who is a Jeskai Jinn. She is a monk hanging out in front of a mystic monastery. And she's just very cool because she's the kind of legend people have wanted since Khans of Tarkir, where uh, Narset was very good in very strict linear deck building ways. Uh, Narset, you basically got infinite turns or infinite attack phases using her ability, and she gets hated off the board right away. And then 
Shuyan wasn't quite what everyone wanted. So Elsha is very cool. I'm considering her as the head of my Jeskai spell slingers, although she has competition from earlier this year for from Kaikar. Kaikar is very fun. I've built the token version myself. Anyway, um, our next legend is Gerard Weatherlight Hero. Um, <laughs> this art is amazing. Um, and the flavor built into his rules text is actually pretty nice where when he dies, you get all your stuff back. It's basically tantamount to the sacrifice that he made, um, to save all of Dominaria. So he dies and you get all of Dominaria's worth of your stuff back from the graveyard as long as it died that turn, even though he didn't bring back Eladomri or Lincivi or... <laughs> any of the interesting characters from those novels actually yeah i know but it's it's fine i guess sisse lives i guess and tom garth and but it's a, dumb ring, so. I'm a little hurt about that but it's okay all all else have forest walk is on the same level as gerard's 1.0 card so i'm looking forward to <laughs> eladomri 2.0 yeah so am i like i'm I'm waiting, Gavin. I'm waiting. I love his card. Like they, they talked about specifically Gerard's mechanic where he dies and brings all your things back is uh, kind of the the final moment where he gets to actually sacrifice himself for the legacy and destroy Yoggmoth and save the day and be the actual hero that he's was genetically engineered over centuries to be because eugenics, yay. Um, but like, I don't like Gerard. I don't know if y'all picked that up over the last couple of weeks during the <laughs> Weatherlight Saga. Um, but, like, the mechanic's really interesting. He does weird combo-y stuff, and I kind of want to build a combo deck built around him where I can win the game by killing him literally hundreds of times. <laughs> Which I guess makes me Crovax. So I have to live with that. <laughs> I support this. So, Greven, Predator Captain, we got at the end of this week, kind of bookending the week with, uh, starting with Gerard and ending with Greven. Uh, while Greven showed off, I'm sorry, while Gerard showed off, you know, his allies, Tangarth, Squee, Sisse, Hannah, Karn, or Amiri, Greven in his background also has the silhouette of his ship, like Gerard has the Weatherlight, Greven has the Predator silhouette. And in tucked in the wings of the Predator are uh, images of Volrath and Krovax, the two Evan cars of Wrath, over top of Greven, who controlled him and his fate, essentially. Uh, behind him and the uh, Predator is the map from Invasion Plans on Wrath. So it's this glowing blue map of Dominaria. Sort of centered, not quite on center. I messaged Zach Stella about this. It's not quite on center, but the map itself is oriented so that uh, you're looking at it and pretty much just off center would be Urborg and the Stronghold when it uh, manifested on Dominaria, which was just a nice little touch. It's also where Greven dies, which is cute. The next card is Gered Conclave Exile. Gered is... A Selesnian, I guess, exile, to keep it simple. I love that on his art, um, you can see that there's a little bit of Selesnia still on his armor, and it's very clear that he's very 
Um, he was very much a part of the Selesnia, and if you even look on the Rhino token that he creates, the art for that is just blatantly Selesnia because the armor on the Rhino's head behind its horn is the Selesnian symbol, uh, Selesnian symbol flaring out, and it's great. Um, and this card is just super cool, and I want to see more of cards where people left gills and you see tinges of their colors. I think this is very cool. Um, idea mechanically and it, it's it, it's just vi I like how it works um, how the card works and the art on the card he's our second only uh, three colored legend from Ravnica after the Shattergang brothers right I think so I believe so yes yeah I like that I like when we get legends from Ravnica that don't fit into a guild Gevo was like that also yep it, it kind of builds out the plane a little bit more beyond the guilds and, and kind of fills in... Uh, how do I want to put this? And it makes Ravnica feel more like a world that's filled with more than just the petty guild politics, uh, which yeah. I like. It, it, it expands the lore of the plane. It expands the characters and the world building in ways that are really satisfying to me. It's pretty awesome. So the next card we're going to talk about is Carrick, son of Yag... Y <laughs> Yag. <laughs> Yagmoth! That there, Yagmoth! So, Carrick, son of Yagmoth, is a card from, is a character from the novel Time Streams. We talked about him briefly in one of our Weatherlight Saga episodes, which you should really check out if you want to know more of the lore around a lot of the legends in this set. Carrick's art, though, shows him at the bottom of the pit that the um, these fast-time Phyrexians end up building. They're stuck in a bubble of fast-time that they can't get through without dying. So they, like, strip-mine the resources, dig it all the way down to the rock bed, and they have this massive pit. Um, and Carrick has been upgrading himself. In the novel, he's described as having, like, these spikes all over him. And so that's where you're that's what you're seeing here. He was an otherwise ordinary looking person, quote unquote, who was a Phyrexian sleeper agent who has modified himself to be slightly more horrific. But just overall a very cool card. More importantly, it's Jorah's boyfriend. Ugh, you yes. never forget your first boyfriend. <laughs> Especially when you have to go into a time war to destroy him. Look, I have dated some bad people in my history, but I have never messed up that poorly. Clearly, Joe Era needs to lay off the time order. <laughs> uh, so the next one is Kadena, Slinking Sorcerer, who's a Naga from Tarkir. She is the one of the commanders of the Morph deck, and she is in the Sultai colors, but we did get it confirmed that she is from the Dragons of Tarkir timeline. She's another plant that there is still old clan activity happening in rebellion against the dragon lords. Uh, the Naga in particular are biding their time, hoping to usurp Silumgar at some point. This was part of Sidisi's story as, a, as an undead vizier storing various toxins in her empty chest cavity. Uh, waiting for a moment to poison Silumgar and take control of the clan. So Kadena might be another Naga that is working with Sidisi. She might be 
someone who is working parallel or against or in a different plan to usurp. However that whole story goes with this character, I mean, we might know once we get a, an official smaller short blurb on the website, which might be up by the time you listen to this episode, but uh, that's fascinating, I think, that, that we're getting more more clan hints from the cons that they might still be around. Do you know if she's associated with Grismold at all? <laughs> we're not even talking about Grismold, because... Uh, but she's a plant. <sighs> wow. Anyway. Well <clears throat> <laughs> Our next legend is Marisi, Breaker of the Coil. Um, long ago on Naya, but not more than 60 years ago, there was a fissure between the Cloud Nakatl and the Wild Nakatl. And what ended up happening was that Marisi broke the coil, which was the actual kind of holy scripture for the Cloud Nakatl, and ended up creating that rift between the two nations, or the two kind of factions of um, Leonin on the plane. Marisi did this because he needed to create an internal conflict within the Leonin communities in service to the one and only Nicobolas. Um, when Nicobolas returns closer to the time of the actual conflux on Alara, um, he has tasked Marisi with kind of fueling this conflict even further. Um, he needs to activate specifically the obelisks on each of the plane, which fuel the spells, or which are activated by spells, but also fuel the maelstrom by just churning more magic into it that he will eventually absorb by the end of the novel. Um, Marisi does this, but in doing this, he exposes that he's alive. Um, and one of Ajani's BFFs, who definitely didn't kill his brother, <laughs> ends up killing Marisi. Um, and that is what ultimately activates the obelisk on Naya and begins... Um, their contributions, their formal contributions to the Conflux and um, the Maelstrom at the center of Alara. Um, Marisi's really cool character. We've kind of waited a long time. I think he's a fav fan favorite. He was granted some kind of life extension um, to be able to stick around from his original days to the present. It's not exactly clear when this happened, whether... Bolas set this up before he died or like just 60 years ago uh, because back then especially around Alara exactly when the mending was wasn't really quite figured out yet yeah this book was kind of operational on two minor details that have not been kept in the current canon which was that Nicol Bolas had a ticking time clock because his age was catching up with him which made a whole bunch of community confusion, and that Maurice was granted extended life. I mean, 60 years isn't, like, impossible for a Leonin, but at the same time, Bolas granting life from his um, pre-Madara days to this random Leonin and this random Leonin being able to keep that magic up until the Mending and after the Mending, but dying essentially... <laughs> 
56 years later is a little less believable. Not to rant on it too much. Just don't think about it too hard, I think, is the, the, yeah. <laughs> the moral of the story. The next legend we have is Rayami, First of the Fallen. Speaking of continuity messes, the Zendikar vampires have a very, very strange and um, conflicting history throughout the resources that are available for Zendikar, but cutting that short and coming to the last kind of origin story for them, they were corrupted in the time... They were corrupted and created in the time while Nahiri was away during that 5,000 years after the Eldrazi were imprisoned, but before the Eldrazi spawn had kind of um, tried to loosen the bonds of the Eldrazi Titans' imprisonment. Um, and that's all covered in the story stirring from Slumber. But the vampires make their first formal appearance on the plane there. And Rayami is implied to be the first of the fallen, corrupted by Ulamog's infinite hunger. And yeah, that's how the Zendikar vampires came to be. And while we don't know whether Rayami was a progenitor of like one of the bloodlines on Zendikar confirmed yet, um, it would make natural sense to um, kind of tie him to one of those houses. Yeah, there were 12, and we only really know much about two of them, maybe three or four, if you go real deep. Hey, maybe he's a player and like made like five or six of them. <laughs> Thirsty boy. So the next character we're going to talk about is Savine the Chronoclasm. Savine is a Talarian mage who dabbles with time magic. We learned this from Ethan Fleischer, who talked about it on the Gen Con panel. You can tell uh, Savine is from Talaria because he wears the mantle that's common with Talarians. His is a slightly different color, but it's still pretty obvious once you know it's there. Uh, what's interesting about his card and Savine's reclamation is that he is carrying it in um in his main art i'm very curious to see his story blurb because this item appears both in savine's reclamation and in his main art as he's walking away from an explosion uh, so i wonder if this is some kind of item that he's round time grabbed and then has walked away while the explosion destroys whatever was there beforehand it's a cookie jar yeah <laughs> he's a he's a snacker I was hoping it would be that one flashback artifact with, like, new art or some new artifact, but no such luck. Uh, the next card we're going to talk about real briefly is Tangarth, First Mate. If you haven't checked out our preview episode, please do. We talk quite a little bit about it, but Tangarth's a very fun card. It shows Tangarth before he's taken by uh, taken by Grevenilvec and mutated in the Wrathy Stronghold into this phyrexianized mutant but uh, the weatherlight crew saves him before his mind is warped and he ends up being a great hero during the phyrexian war and is a phyrexian invasion and he's one of the survivors who goes on to crew the ship with uh, a new ship with sisse and then to round out the legends we have volrath the shape stealer who is awesome and i'm a little disappointed that he's not just blue black because i've been holding out for a blue black legend and i was hoping it would be volrath and that's not gonna happen but i'll live with it so he he 
does his shapeshifty thing finally because his original card from Nemesis was mono black and had this weird discarding shade like ability to pump him up. It was weird. And finally, we have a card that represents Volrath as his actual identity, which is this kind of maniacal, unethical, genetic engineer who also likes to steal people's identities. So his card's all about putting minus one, minus one counters on things in the Frexian fashion of experimenting with them and then being able to become copies of things that he's experimented on but still being a 7-5, which is, by the way, massive stats for a 5-drop. Like, Valrath hits hard, and that's pretty sweet. But he's also the reason we don't have a Takara card yet, because he can't copy Legends. That's... <laughs> we don't have a Takara card yet, because Stark, like, won't let us have one. It's weird. He's a jerk. He's very protective. He, he poses Takara for forever, and... If you have Volrath and Takara at the same time, and if he tries to become Takara as a card, he wouldn't be able to... You'd have to sacrifice one of them. That didn't happen in the story, so that's why we don't have the Takara card yet. I love this obscure justification. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, we'll go with that. (laughs) Brian is always great when this kind of stuff comes up. (laughs) All right. Let's move on to the new non-legendary cards, of which there were a bunch that were really, really neat, because this Commander product is just filled with sweet stuff. So the first one is Mandate of Peace, which we don't have any kind of official confirmation, but looking at the art, it very much looks like this takes place on Ragatha somewhere near Carol Keep. The two figures here have the red hoods and the lighter-colored quilted uh, leg pieces, thigh pieces, uh, that are indicative of the Carol Keep monks. And they're being bound by Golden Hieromancy, which could very much be part of the Order of Heliod. And and the buildings in the background are of that kind of blocky, drab earthen tones that we see on Ragatha. So all of this makes me believe that this is very much directly intended to be set somewhere near Carol Keep, and that is pretty cool, and it's it's always nice when they have new cards with generic mechanics that still have art throwbacks to specific things in the multiverse. Thalia's Geist Caller is another one I wanted to talk about. One of the things when the flashback deck was announced that I wanted was a two generic mana and white version of Burning Vengeance and Secrets of the Dead. When you cast something from your graveyard, uh, you get something. And Thalia's Geist Caller was better than I could have hoped for that, creating a 1-1 spirit every time you do that, and having a sacrifice outlet for those spirits. Uh, It is also interesting from a flavor perspective, because the implication is that the relationship with Geist's post the Emrakul invasion is probably something that's going to keep going forward in the new whatever religion forms past uh, the fall of the Avacyn Church. Song of the World Soul is another very cool deep cut. It's not very often we get World Soul referenced on a card. It's talking about Matt Selesnia, uh, and in the flavor text it refers to Matt Selesnia, which is the Perun of the Selesnian Guild, and is also the World Soul of Ravnica. Our next card is Leadership Vacuum, which 
depicts Uril the Miststalker getting sucked into a vortex in the sky. And I cannot wait to just play this against my local playgroups, Uril player. He already <laughs> knows it's coming, and I cannot wait to do it to him the first time. And for our next card, I have a little song I like to sing. Oh, no. I'm Mr. Discarder. I'm Mr. Draw. I'm Mr. Zombie Token. I'm Mr. Freeman. They call me Bowmizer. Whatever I touch, do they do? Start to mold in my touch. I'm too much. So, uh, Bone Miser is a card that depicts the guy from Waste Knot. And it's really cool because Waste Knot counts. It, it makes you have to capture what your opponents are discarding. But this card is checking what you're discarding. So it's making like a wheel effect. You're counting everything that's being discarded. And you're getting a benefit for every card that's being discarded. So... I really like this card, and I'm going to stick it in multiple decks. Um, so I'm super excited, and I'm glad I got to sing that song because that's one of my favorite holiday movies. And that song, those the two songs related to that are part of why. So I love the Heat Miser and Cold Miser. My favorite Christmas movie is Gremlins. Uh, oh, well, about that. <laughs> or, or maybe Die Hard. Please, we cannot let this on the cast. It's too late. <laughs> I can agree with that. Yes. Die Hard's probably my favorite Christmas movie, too. Hey, look. All I'm saying is that Bruce Willis and John McClane clearly has footsmanship. Because that class did not stop. <laughs> <laughs> he has yippee-ki-yay-manship. <laughs> Don't make it weird, Jay. So the next card we're going to talk about is uh, Backdraft Hellkite which is a neat flavor reference to Past in Flames. A backdraft is a firefighting term when a um, an area that has been cut off from oxygen suddenly has a lot of oxygen poured in, and the fire roars out uh, and like explodes out. There's a lot of cool movies that show that scene. It's one of the favorite things to show in media because fires aren't really that interesting most of the time so uh it is a reference to past in flames by using backdraft uh which is a, a, a nice little pun i appreciated it's like back to the past flashback draft exactly i also appreciate that because this is a hellkite that kind of gives your spells flashback so people have been calling it snapdragon after snapcaster mage which is adorable but also kind of funny because snapdragons are flowers but it's very cute i like that nickname so the next card we're going to talk about is Dockside Extortionist, which is yet another legitimate business goblin who has been unfairly maligned <laughs> by the system. That, that's what we're going with, huh? It is a goblin pirate, not from Ixalan, because it's not one of the uh, blue furry pirates. Uh, the blue furry goblins, I mean. So some of the cute details here are the goblin is wearing a monocle. Uh, I guess, to to look intelligent. Uh, the goblin is also wearing an earring that is also a key and has a lockbox around their neck where and and a um, a coin changer, kind of like you might find at a, uh, a casino, <laughs> as they 
conduct their business negotiations with someone who has recently come to their dock. The next card is Oran Frostfang, which is another cute reference to Cold Snap and the card Oran Viper, which had a, a sort of death-touchy ability and then the standard snake ability of drawing cards whenever it deals combat damage to an opponent. What's awesome about Oran Frostfang is it turns all your creatures into Oran Vipers, where they have death touch when they attack and whenever they deal combat damage to an opponent, you draw a card. So that's just, and, and it's also a snow creature snake like Oran Viper was. So it's like very deliberately this mechanical play on this old card from the same time with the same naming convention. So that's always neat when cards kind of get to blend this kind of Mel and Vorthos aspects in a reference. I always like those. And then our final card in this section is Idol of Oblivion, which uh, we referenced Stirring from Slumber earlier in this episode, the story where Nahiri awakens from her protection of Zendikar to discover vampires exist now. And because they're created by Ulamog, they create this cult around uh, who they know as the god Ula. And the story, she finds this cult and finds that they have It'd be the, the core god, Mengeni. Ula is the merfolk god. It's still Ulamog. But that is correct. I, I always forget the core have different names, and I never remember the core names because nobody ever cares about them. They're, like, never used, yeah. Of course, I say that, but, like, I know, like, half of the names of the weapons from the gods on Theros, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Knowledge is weird. Anyway, point is, Ulamog-worshipping vampire cult has built this shrine to him and is using it to nudge open the Hedron network. And Nahiri puts a stop to it, but not before um, small essences of the Titans can leak out into Zendikar. And she has to fight a bunch of Eldrazi spawn and minor Eldrazi. And uh, that's when she gets mad at Soren and Ugin for not showing up and then storms off to Innistrad. And it's a whole thing. But uh, this is a card that like represents this culty statue situation you can see figures encircling the statue so the statue is designed very much like the one in shrine of the forsaken gods which shows the merfolk interpretations of ula kosi and emeria so uh this is now the second year in a row that we've gotten an eldrazi statue artifact last year we had ancient stone idol which was a 1212 golem built to look like uh the the god version of Kozilek, which was also a mechanical reference to Stone Idol Trap from either Zendikar or Worldwick, I forget which set. And then, uh, so this year we have an Ulamog one, and I'm really hoping that Commander 20 next year has an artifact statue of Ameria, so we can kind of finish off this trilogy of Eldrazi thingies that are artifacts and reference the god versions but also reference the actual titans because ancient ancient stone idol was a 12 12 like kozilek idol of oblivion makes a 10 10 token which is how big ulamog is so an emeria one would either make a 15 15 or a 13 13 i'd honestly be fine with either interpretation and uh yeah that would be cool so there are a handful of neat new art for reprints in the set a lot of them are pulled from other sources like mtgo or in one case the best version of faithless looting which is dak busting through a window looking awesome from the idw promo yeah that was a cool reprint yeah 
It's so sexy. All right. So <laughs> we're going to talk about some of those new art reprints as well. Yeah. So the first one is the most important one and probably the most important card in this entire product, which is the reprint of Chrome Shell Crab, which is new art. And the reason <laughs> it's the most important part is because, well, first of all, the crab looks awesome. Chrome looks good on everything, especially crabs. But right in the foreground, if you look real close, you can see this tiny little baby crab and it's the cutest thing. And I want to hug it and cuddle it and snuggle it and tell it that it's a good little crab and make sure it grows up big, grows up big and strong. It's adorable and I love it. <laughs> and it's the best card in this whole set. <laughs> it is quite good. Uh, there's also Solemn Simulacrum. 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 Which has new art from Donato Giancola, who is, like, a very legendary magic artist. Like, top of the game in the fantasy Living field. master. But the art itself is very cool. What I like about it is the juxtaposition of, like, this finely crafted gold wall and uh, fine ornate window. Uh, and in front of it is this black asymmetrical sharp lined kind of looks not really filigree it's just a very interesting brutal design like something tezzeret would come up with and the juxtaposition of like the beautiful gold and elegant lines versus the brutal black asymmetry is just gorgeous and the final card we want to talk about is mimic vat uh, the new art for Mimic Vat, well, I should mention the old art for Mim Mimic Vat takes place in what is called the Mephidros on Mirrodin, uh, which is like the swampy area. This one appears to take place in what's called the Tangle, where there are a number of copper trees that have been twisted by New Phyrexia. So it looks very much like the new Phyrexian version of the Tangle. I don't know where else would th this would be taking place, but I thought that was a, a neat idea to, to reframe it. I hope that's where it actually takes place. It definitely looks more like the Tangle art that we have from the um, Meriden block um, with the trees. Um, so yeah. Yeah, the vat itself here looks uh, pretty organic and has some pretty natural shapes, which is something that's kind of indicative of the green Frexians. They are still machine cyborg horrors, but they feel more like animals than uh, people or robots. And uh, they feel more aesthetically kind of smooth and elegant in, in certain ways. But uh, yeah, it's I would bet money on it intentionally very much being the tangle and that's pretty sweet i also like that like the two mimic vat arts are in the black and green areas of new Frexia because those are glissa's colors and glissa is awesome very true so that does it for our flavor gems episode of commander 2019 let's move on to final thoughts so for me I was really kind of struck by how awesome the Black Red Madness deck has ended up being. Like, I am really torn as to... I really want to make a Phyrexian Commander deck, and I'm really torn now between, like, the several this offers up 
and Lyogmoth, who came out earlier this year. I'm going to have a hard time picking which way to go. My final thought is that uh, we can finally close a chapter in baseless, baseless magic Vorthos speculation with the recent purchase of Fox Studios, the uh, not not the Fox News television stuff, the uh, the the movie studio stuff that uh, Disney recently purchased. They they finally went through with their plan that was obvious and we knew about for the whole time to to kind of comb through Fox's ongoing projects, uh, pick out the ones that they were interested in, and and just kind of trash can the rest of them, which includes the hypothetical magic movie that we hadn't even heard about in what like four or five years now which was probably dead anyway at least five years this move by disney pretty much kills any variation of that incarnation which honestly like personally like like, who cares we're getting the netflix series like that's being worked on that's probably going to be out next year Let's walk before we run on the big screen. Magic probably works better as a miniseries than a movie. Uh, it's a safer way to introduce the IP to a public that probably doesn't know much about it. I like the idea of the Netflix show potentially being successful and graduating into a movie. That could be neat. And we should note that AllSpark Studios, which is like Hasbro's studios wasn't really a thing when the movie rights for magic were first like moving around back in the early 2010s i believe yeah so you know it's it's nice that this deal is done because there's a much more mature program to develop these kinds of things that will hopefully be taking the reins i don't have any specific details about any kind of plans on that front well and and that's a good point because um Hasbro also recently in the last year, I think, it might have been a little more than a year, I don't remember, uh, they acquired the Power Rangers licenses. And so they've been doing Power Ranger toys and whatnot. And they did recently announce, I think about a month or two ago, that they are looking um, through their their own studio, uh, producing a new Power Rangers movie that will be, uh, I believe they confirmed that it would be not be a sequel to the more recent one, which is a shame because that one was really good. Um, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that they can't make a reboot that is also really good. Um, but yeah, well, we'll we'll see. Like Hasbro might do something. Um, we'll see how the Netflix things goes. But like for now, at least we can like definitively say, hey, that magic movie Fox was working on, not gonna happen. I will say. Thank God they didn't advertise it on the side of the Guilds of Ravnica booster box because wow. that space <laughs> seems a little cursed. It's all a bolus plot. One of his many misdirections. Brian, final thoughts? My final thought is I kind of want to see the podcast all do theme decks based around, based around characters from the Invasion Saga from this commander set and have them at GP Atlanta. I would not be opposed to that. So I've already built my Sisse Weatherlight deck, and I'm probably going to build one of the Phyrexians. So yeah, I I would definitely be down for that. So I don't know how we should distribute the commanders or like if y'all want to pick one or how we want to do this, but I feel like they've done a lot of really cool commanders about characters that we've just finished talking about and i really want to <laughs> do some kind of theme deck around these and try to play them against each other and get like i guess community involvement see who has the coolest or most on theme deck 
So I guess give us your thoughts and um, how we should go about doing this. I don't know. I'm leaning toward Grevin because I can include Carrick and some of the others in there and their life loss abilities will trigger Grevin. So, well, I don't know. I would dock you flavor points for putting Carrick in a deck with led by Grevin. Well, also just you using Carrick in the first place, that card's going to be busted. Also, it's not like really a Weatherlight Saga card. Please. He died before the Weatherlight was made. Yeah. Well, he's going to be in the deck that it's a Grevin deck. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so. It doesn't have to be on flavor 100%. Yeah. Well, maybe for you, Scrubs. It's going to be Phyrexian themed. It's going to be Phyrexian themed. What can I only use cards from uh, Tempest, Prophecy? No, Tempest, Nemesis, and the Invasion block? Like, those are the only cards I could use? I don't know. Do do we want to do it? Like that would help deck building. Let's let's not restrict it at all. That's that's way too much. So yeah, let, let's not do that kind of restriction. But I guess uh, give us your thoughts on how we should do this. Uh, oh, you mean the listeners? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if y'all want to do it, I will absolutely build a Volrath deck. Y'all will make me do it. My final thought is. That I am happy the card Aeon Engine exists. Because I feel like every group knows one person just pops off every single game. Or at least tries to pop off or even like sandbags the combo just so that they can pop <laughs> off at an opportune time. And I feel like or Aeon Engine and cards like Death by Dragons where everybody gets a dragon except for one specific dude really nail nailed down that point that like we don't like playing with you. <laughs> F you in particular. <laughs> and plus all of the Aeon Engine recursion stuff I've seen on Twitter, just A plus, I love it. <laughs> it's just a very goofy card. It is. Can't wait to see how people use it. If you also like new exciting cards, which you might because, welcome, we have a bunch of new followers on Twitter and listeners to the podcast after these preview weeks. That's always nice. And uh, if you enjoy our podcast and you want to help support us and you've been listening to us for a couple days or a couple months or more than a year now, because by the way, we're past a year. It's weird. You can head over to patreon.com slash cast and support us today. For as little as $1 a month, you can get access to our Discord server community where we have Vorthoses from around the world talking about exciting new cards, deck ideas, and just having a good time. So if that's something you're interested in, we adore everyone who supports us over on Patreon because we cannot keep making the show without y'all. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.